Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a return guest with me. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Mark Fiorentino. He was on my show before. Um, he's back, um, but we're going to tell his story again because I have a lot of new um, subscribers and a lot of new viewers who haven't heard his story. His, he has a unified field theory. He was um, obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory, but he has his own version of that. But he's also had experiences with uh, near-death experiences and mediums, and he relates this all to UFOs and how that might be um, in our in our in a, in our world and how it's working out. But let me just read his bio. Mark Fiorentino shares his views on how the universe really works based on the study of the research of Einstein's unified field theory. He will discuss how the applications of Einstein's theory can be used to travel through space, renewable energy, and future technology. He will also talk about the connection to conspiracy theories, including UFOs and alien technology they use, as well as other controversial topics such as near-death experience, revelations, and a link to the theory of superrelativity. And about Mark, he's uh, been obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing it when he was 10. He worked for many years in the high-tech industry, including uh, working for IBM. And his book is called Master of Reality. And I'll put a link to it in the description of the video. And also his, his website is www.super-relativity.com. And, uh, and then he has a blog, www.super-relativity.com slash blog. And I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Uh, Mark, thank you for coming back on my show. How are you? Fine, thank you. So it's good to be here, and we're going to get into some very uh, interesting spiritual stuff tonight. I think. Yeah, I. I how did this all start? I mean, like, uh, with the near death experiences, how does that and 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 the mediums and and when you when you saw a psychic, I I know, I know you had originally saw a psychic, and that had an effect on your life. Do you want to talk about that first before we get into the near death experiences? Yeah, uh, this really all starts many years ago when I was around 19 years old and I had went to a psychic here in Florida who was located at um, Casadega, which is the spiritualist capital of North America. So it's a town loaded with psychics, mediums, and uh, some friends and I uh, went there just to have a, well, we called it in having our fortune told back in the day, but now it's called a reading. Uh, so I got an unexpected surprise uh, after my reading was over, actually, because it was a very normal reading uh, when I was in there. And, uh, other than she, the lady, Martha McKay, saying one thing in particular, which was, in your final days, you will be a spiritual teacher, which then was repeated by three other mediums in the next 45 years the first words out of their mouth were the exact same words so there's evidence there that the other there's a really another another side there and they're communicating to the mediums and it's the one in the same people are sent giving the same message over a long period of time and they did not you know these mediums don't know each other there's you know vast time differences between seeing one and the next one and you know they're just they don't know each other how did they all say the exact same words so there's some evidence there that's powerful it's compelling that there's something going on there really is an afterlife there really is uh you know guardian angels and guardian spirits or or i guess you'd call them uh nowadays uh, spirit guides uh, so that happened with that one after after the reading was over i didn't hear the big news until we were driving to daytona beach which was our main destination that weekend to do some partying and um, the other guy that went in after me said the medium told him that i was going to make some great discovery someday something very important or write a book or something I don't remember the exact words, and I tried to contact him and find out if he remembered it. He didn't remember. So it was just my memory of what he said that day in the car as we were driving to, um, to Daytona. And then as circumstances have had it uh, over the years, this keeps coming up, this discovery, this invention with other mediums. And, um, you know, I begin to get a little bit you know, spooked and and interested at the same time, because this is unusual. 
uh, how, how does what's going on? You know, it becomes a mystery story when I'm, I want to find out what the heck is going on. You know, well, why <laughs> why does this keep coming up? This discovery, this what, whatever it is, and uh, but they won't tell me any details up until the last medium, Tamara Richardson, that I, I talked to because of a, a an emergency health situation. Uh, I found a medium contacted to get some information. And then suddenly this comes up again, only in a big way with, you know, a whole slew of uh, people coming through from the other side, like Einstein and Ray Bradbury and, and now Tesla. And I think, well, this is really unusual. This doesn't generally happen in readings. I mean, you get normal stuff about your family or your past loved ones and so forth. And that's what I would expect, uh, you know, but since I wrote this book, it sort of seems to have triggered, I guess I found my path, did what I was supposed to do. And now there's some other things that I'm supposed to do. So that's how we got to this point here today, where I, I wrote this book after I retired and thinking, it was a good thing to do. It was good to get involved in all these notes I had all these years, all this studying I had done on about Einstein and the unified field theory. And I come up with my own theory, eventually wrote a technical paper that's on ResearchGate to back up what's in the book. And it succeeds in doing just that. Um, it's a, it is itself a great discovery, the, the paper that uh, basically... Uh, identifies the origins of mass, gravity, and inertia. It turns out they come from the same, same thing, the same mechanical process. So that's how we got to this point. And then along the way, while writing the book, there were some interesting encounters with a person who had a, an NDE. Yeah, can you talk about that? Like, Because I, I want to figure out how the spirituality ties in with the near uh, the with the unified field theory which can be very technical right um the einstein's theory can be very technical but then you have this meshing with spirituality where you've had experiences with near-death experiences can you talk yes. about this? this is a very important point because i'm doing something a ordinary physicist in this world would never do i went I decided early on, I learned as a troubleshooter at IBM, if you want to know how something works, go to the creator of that something and ask them. I did it many times while troubleshooting problems with great success. So in this case, I took Einstein's words to heart, which he said, I want to know how God created this world. I am not interested in this or that phenomena, in the spectrum or this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. So I said, this is a good idea. And from that, I eventually was led down a trail uh, going to an NDE to find out something that Einstein was looking for. And he said, you know, if I, I want to know God's thoughts. Well, you know, I thought to myself, how can I do that? Well, unless I die and speak to God myself, which is a bit extreme, uh, there are NDEs. And I thought, well, maybe some of these NDEs have gotten a message and that, that for us and particularly for what I'm researching. So that kind of triggered me to go looking through NDE reports for something that I was searching for, which I call the signature of God. And this is a, a pattern of motion of the particles inside of the neutron and the proton. This is where I figured that God would sign the universe quite literally. And, and in my head, I, it popped up a riddle. It said, basically, what I thought was, the signature is in everything and in everywhere, but it's impossible to see. And then this is what triggered me to think, oh, of course, it's in the particles of the universe. That's where he signed it through this dynamical geometry, which, by the way, I found out later on, was the same thing that Einstein was looking for, but he was born too early. And he didn't know that there were things inside of the neutron and proton. So it was very mysterious how these things had mass and they were totally stationary. What he didn't realize was that there was quarks moving at 99% the speed of light in these things. 
And that's what generated the mass. So later on, now we get to the spiritual stuff. Um, there's two branches we're going to go. First one, I'm going to tell you basically uh, in response to that, that discovery of the uh, signature of Gandhi trefoil pattern, which I could show you what, if you look at this, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it or not. I have my notes up. Hold on, let me see. Yeah, what, did, what does that signify? That's the, the motion of the quarks inside. It's a trefoil knot, one of the simplest, simplest geometries. And, and so they're, they're moving in this knot pattern, which holds the neutron and the proton together. At the same time, what uh, Einstein tells me in this meeting that we had with this Tamara Richardson, uh, as I'm pursuing this research about this the uh, the dynamical geometry, the trefoil pattern. He comes to me, and the first thing he says to me, as she is channeling him, and and the other side says, "We're going to channel, and you, we're going to talk to you." And, and, and here's Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein is going to the medium and going like this, and she's asking me, "Why is he closing his hands like this?" And I, and I get chills, and, and I know exactly why he's saying that. He's answering the question I had through the entire four years of the book. And that question that was running through my mind as I searched the internet for evidence of this is that gravity is a contraction of space. So he sends me a message that I would recognize, only I would recognize. Now, what does I, that mean that gravity is a contraction of space? Like, what in layman's terms? Like, but how does that like work for like our everyday, or not our everyday lives? But like, what what would? Can you break it down a little bit? Yeah, um, long ago there was a theory called the ether theory, which means that space was a real physical object, a quasi-elastic solid, and therefore this quasi-elastic solid can be deformed or bent. Yeah. And, and that's what he proved with the theory of general relativity. But the theory before that, the theory of special relativity, they talk about space contracting as you accelerate, as objects accelerate within it, the objects themselves contract. And, and from that, he gets in the idea of the Ehrenfest paradox, which talks about an acceleration of a, a ring that's spinning rapidly and, and the outer surface of that, the perimeter of that ring sh shrinks and contracts because of this acceleration. That was the key to dis discovery that Einstein was led uh, to coming up with general relativity. That's how he realized deep down that there's a contraction of that physical space as an accelerated object like electrons or in this case quarks when they're moving in a circular pattern that's acceleration people yeah. don't realize that kind of motion is accelerated motion and when you're moving through that medium which is a quasi-elastic solid it can deform and react to that kind of motion so in and around the particle it starts to shrink and contract at high rates of speed so everything now makes sense it's a, all a mechanical process there is no particle that's, you know, mediating gravity. It's the particles themselves and the mo motion within the medium. That's the key idea to get. That motion causes it to contract in and around the particle. That contraction pulls in toward that perimeter. And that's what we experience as gravity. So the space is going inward, being pulled, literally inward toward this perimeter of this rapidly rotating object, uh, in this case, neutrons and prot uh, protons. So that's why he's saying this. He's just simply saying, yes, gravity is a contraction of space. And for that medium to guess at something like that is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. Nobody knew that I had that in my mind. Nobody. I never spoke it aloud. I just worked on it alone here in my lab and in my office. And it was a constant question. I was constantly looking for 
a place where he uses the word contracted. And it's in, as it turns out, it's in his happiest thought. And uh, he, Einstein followed a line of reasoning that began with the happiest thought of his life. Still at the Swiss patent office, he conducted one of his famous thought experiments. Einstein imagined a circle spinning in space. The center of the circle did not move, but its circumference was moving quickly in a circular direction. Einstein compared what happens in several reference frames, a standard tool he used in developing the theory of special relativity. He concluded, underline this in your mind, he concluded using his special relativity that the boundary of the disk contracted as it spun. That's the whole key to the universe. This is, this is a major breakthrough that he got through envisioning in his mind how this whole thing works. <laughs> there was a force acting at, on the circle at the boundary, the centrifugal force and its action was analogous to that of the gravitational force. That's where it comes from. So this all comes about through thinking about talking to the creator. And, and, and when you talk to somebody on the other side, you're basically talking to the creator. I don't care who it is, Einstein, your mother, your father. Once you are on the other side, you have a complete connection to all the knowledge of the universe. Everything you need to know is there in the Akashic record, whatever you want to call that. Uh, they are all connected. And when we're alive, we're kind of disconnected somewhat from that, unless we do things like meditate and practice uh, establishing a connection with the other side. So what I'm doing, what physicists would never do, is I'm, I'm acknowledging there is a God. There's no more mystery about it. This is, you know, time to put this, you know, there is no God, there is no afterlife. Put that aside, because that's nonsense. What's really happening is here, there is a God. And I'm going to, to the creator to find, find out how all this was created, how this uh, system works. Does it work like a machine, the universe? That's what it seems like you're saying. It seems like it all works like, one big functioning machine. That Ironically, you see, plan. you're getting it. You're getting in that because that statement is exactly how it works. Newton was really right all along. And, and, and this kind of really establishes that. It's like you can imagine in your head, it's a giant ballet with all the particles spinning and dancing and bumping into each other and affecting each other and determining every event in the universe. There's no accidents. It's like a, a giant machine work, and it's so chaotic and complex, it's, it gets difficult to predict things down at the atomic and subatomic level, but that doesn't mean that's not the way it works, because that is exactly the way it works. It's a machine work, and, and getting to that and, and inquiring with and talking to the other side, I was able to get confirmation like gravity is a contraction of space. So the theory of super relativity that's outlined in my book is correct. They're basically saying, they told me it is correct. So I've gotten, uh, you know, proof in a, uh, and confirmation from an unusual place of a, a place of extreme authority, higher than anywhere else you're going to get. All you have to do is know and believe that this is the real deal and this is the real evidence that's happening. And I've had much evidence from the other side that there is an afterlife and there are guardian angels and such. And they have helped me in this process and they continue to help. And I'm going to acknowledge them and their work in this, in this process. I'm, I'm just a guy that's agreed to do this and work this problem out and get this information out there. Now, what, did you said you had visits from guardian angels? Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, there's evidence that I've accumulated. Now, that was some evidence from Einstein, as he told me that you know space is contracting. I've had my life was saved by my guardian angels. Uh, at one point in my life, 
Uh, this is absolutely accurate and true right to the last letter, what I'm about to tell you. This really happened. And I'm here to testify to that. I was driving home from work at IBM one day, and I come up to a T intersection. And at that intersection, uh, I have to decide whether I'm going to go left, which is the quiet back roads. It's a little longer, but it's more peaceful, or go right, and in the, it's a little shorter, a lot more traffic, a lot more lights, a lot very hectic. And I decided in my mind as I'm approaching the turn, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go through the back roads. And just as I thought that, I hear a voice in my left ear. Now, I'm not talking about in my head like you, your thought voice you hear. Yeah. I heard a voice as if somebody were speaking right next to my ear. So I quickly turned and looked in the car. I thought somebody was in the back seat. And that voice said, don't go that way. And wow. I couldn't believe it. I, I shook my head and I, I think, well, I'm going to go that way. That, I, that couldn't be real. And then that voice said again, don't go that way. And so I stopped at the intersection and I, I thought, this is really strange. And, and now I'm curious. So I said, well, obviously there's danger ahead and I'm going to go that way because I have to prove what I just heard was real. So I'm, I'm driving very cautiously because I said, what the worst thing that could happen is a head-on collision. And, and I'm not driving in a big car. I'm on a little Honda Civic uh, hatchback and it was old. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, be careful because you, there's not a lot of metal to protect you here. And so I was, you know, making sure going through lights that, you know, there was nobody zipping along going to hit me broadside or something. But there's this big straightaway uh, and there's a golf course on the right and it's a long straight road. And sure enough, I see ahead, there's this truck swerving wildly going. It's a two lane road and he's going into our lane and then going all the way back in his lane off the road, coming back on the road, swerving back into the left lane, you know, our lane again, head on coming in our direction. And he's doing this repeatedly over and over you know, and people are steering their cars off the road because it's a crowded road trying not to hit this guy. And the next thing you know, he's coming straight at me. Oh, my God. Now I'm thinking, oh, you should have listened. And I turned that wheel as hard as I could turn it. And I spun and swerved and went into a ditch off the road. And we just missed. And I could see him in his face as he was going by in the pickup truck as we were sliding by, just missing each other by inches. Oh my I almost, God. I almost died that day. And thanks to the guardian angels, they changed my fate so that I did not leave at an early exit point, which is what that was going to be. Uh, wow. That was not where I was supposed to die. So they warned me. And that warning provided enough information to me to be extra cautious, to be looking ahead, not daydreaming or something, and getting hit, piled into head on. So there is more rock solid evidence, in my opinion, that there is an afterlife and there are guardian angels. And um, I apologize to them for not listening, because that must be very frustrating for them to be helping you in such a desperate situation and you just simply refused to listen as, as I did. I should have just went the other way. But um, so there's a, there's a case and, and there's, there's other times that they've come to me in my bedroom at night in crisis situations. They always come when I'm in a crisis state and, and I'm in deep prayer. So know that your prayers are heard. Please remember that. Whoever you are, whoever you are listening, if you are in a crisis situation, pray, open up, and they will contact you in one way or another. And there's a variety of ways, not just what I'm talking about here, where you physically see or hear something, but they'll send you messages to billboards and, and all kinds of different ways. It's a synchronicity kind of a thing, but it's real. And if you're attuned to it and you're open to it, they will work with you and, and send you messages. And, yeah. and 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no go ahead. Now I was seeing like what um, NDE cases did you look into that made you think that the NDEs were really, um, you know, um, because I, I've, uh, if you look at like the Pam Reynolds case, have you ever heard of that one? Uh, I might have read it over. The name doesn't ring a bell though. She was on the Art Bell show and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with Art Bell, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Pam Reynolds, like she uh, had no brainwave activity and she described to the doctors exactly everything that she was you know seeing and like at things that the doctors were doing and like it, it was just amazing and and I, I don't know there's like it's hard to you know figure out like is this our consciousness or is this a you know even though we have no brain activity is there still some brain activity or what are your thoughts on this like uh, I, I'm glad you asked and I have some really good thoughts on this how that works because and I've given it a lot of thought because you've described the situation very well. This is what I've come to, to understand and believe. The brain is not you. That is not you, really. The brain is an interface device. Like a modem. It, yeah, it houses your consciousness, your consciousness, your soul, as long as you're alive in the physical body. So at the moment of birth or just before birth, you're placed by the power of intention, God himself, in every individual on this planet and every other planet, you're placed into this physical vehicle. And the brain is the interface device that allows your consciousness to see, hear, uh, thought processes can occur and so forth are all mediated through this mechanism, the brain. So the brain isn't consciousness, it's connected to it. And so consciousness can speak, your soul, whatever can speak and communicate while you're inside of this thing. But when you're in your brain and in a physical body, you're ratcheted down, your capabilities are way down below what you could do when you're on the other side and you can an instant go forward or backward in time. You could be anywhere in the universe you want in an instant. Well, that all that capability is, is cut away and your memories of past lives are cut away when you pass through the veil. All that's stripped and you're put into um, a simulation, I guess you want to call it, this, this reality here. It seems a shared, like, like a holographic reality. Yeah, you know? It's a shared simulation right? That's what makes it really special, is that not only you are experiencing, but everybody else is experiencing the same thing, basically, while you're here together in this time segment, which is what we're in now. We're born into a time segment, and we're in this time segment, and so we're sharing experiences. Our brains are allowing us to see, take impressions of light coming in from space and processing it and your brain builds an image in your mind and that is transferred into your consciousness and you can see hear feel smell do all these these great things that allow you to interact with this environment and with other people so the brain isn't your soul it's the thing that houses your soul while you're here yeah and then would you say like since we're in like maybe some kind of simulated reality, do you think that there's a quantum component to consciousness? Does that even make sense? Um, you know, that word is used a lot, maybe overused. Um, I don't think there's like a random thing that's going on there. You have free will and that's as random as it gets. And that's part of the design of this reality that that's a very important part of it that it's what makes everything worthwhile and and important is that you have free will and choice you, you can get the impressions and the you know ideas from the other side and and whatever but ultimately you're the one that makes the decision like that day i decided to go anyway even though i was warned not to uh, that's the key difference. That's what makes this experience incredibly valuable, especially when you take it back to the other side. Everything is stored. Everything is remembered. Your entire life is recalled and reviewed. And uh, 
this real life experience is, is it's all about learning learning to to love and to care for one another and to communicate and accomplish many things are going on here all valuable and, and this, the experience you take with you is the thing that's the most important thing of your life uh, and you can't get that unless you come down here and and go into a physical form so that you can have all these experiences and such so but, uh, what do you think the creator is like do you think it's like an energy or would you say that god's like an actual living being or does it know what it is or do you do, do you think it's sentient uh, yeah definitely sentient <laughs> it's infinite spirit it's infinite knowledge it's it's each he's eternal i say he you know some people see him as a he or she or both most people see it as kind of both you know not really having a gender but it's but what gender it does emanate seems to be male to many people and maybe that's because we're comfortable of thinking of him that way and I can tell you of an NDE case where three people died simultaneously as they were struck by lightning. And they were three different religions. You see, this is not an accident. Three people, three different religions. They all go up the tunnel together. They all see God. One was a Christian, one was a Hindu, and one was a Muslim. And so they're all three standing in front of the white light, the great light, the infinite love, God. The creator of everything, not just earth, not just us, everything. So, you know, the scientists really need to get on board with that. The creator created everything, everything right down to the last atom. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now, I'm going to shift topics because uh, I'm, I'm, I know you talk about a lot of real interesting stuff here. Like, I'm looking at my notes. Um, you talk about uh, warp drives or anti-gravity, how it can be applied to UFOs. I mean, wh what are your thoughts on UFOs? They just had a hearing. I was talking to someone before, and there's there's some evidence that some of these might be ours that we might already have this technology that like yes. that and um you know the reason why is because there's rivets on the craft there's exhaust pipes there's um you know these are this guy pulled out blue book cases from the 60s and he said that the government's not talking about any of this you know um i just wanted to get your opinion on this like they're not did i but either maybe you know if you watched the hearing yesterday Either these people were lost. There was a government hearing on UAPs yesterday, and they it seemed like they were just lost, like they didn't know exactly. But I think that's a, a ruse, you know. Yeah. Yes. What are, what are your thoughts? They're not lost. They know. I'm going to tell you a story that was relayed to me by somebody who wants to remain anonymous, and they will. I will not tell you anything about them or who they are, where they are, whatever. But I can tell you these two people saw a ufo back in the 70s and they were got to get very close to it it was not a large ufo it was about maybe the size of a volkswagen and they got up to within touching distance so they could see the details of that construction of that ufo and there were markings on that ufo and the marking said u.s air force experimental wow Wow. So I know, because this guy went through a great deal of de details proving that he's a legitimate person and you know, showed me licenses and so forth that he had and so forth. So he came to me because he had heard about my book and, and wanted to relate to me that I was right about what I said in my book is that they already have this. They got they reverse engineered this. They're deliberately covering it up because they want to have strategic military advantage, uh, you know, against the other countries and so forth. They want to have the lead technology because he who dominates the skies wins the wars. Yeah. So, well so if you have a UFO that can go Mach 10 and, you know, without any kind of inertia problems and so forth, and, you know, if that thing is carrying weapons, it's going to blow everything else out of the sky. There's going to be no competition because nobody could hit it. Uh, so, yeah, we have this technology and there's loads of people coming forward now. These last few years, I mean, the super soldiers and all those stories and so forth. 
there's a, a a lot of people that used to have retired that were in the Air Force and that were in private industry that worked on these things. They're all coming forward. And it's just a pile of information that they have that confirms beyond any shadow of a doubt, yes, the United States has this. We should stop, you know, wondering if they got it or not. Of course they got it. And they're using it. And they've developed it over the last 40-something years. Uh, even more than that, I guess it's about 70 years now since it's 47 and it's uh, 2022. That's that's getting along. That's a lot of decades to have to work on this anti-gravity problem and get these ships going. The problem is there is multiple um, uh, technologies. <laughs> In my book, I describe the entry level technology that's necessary to not only have anti-gravity in order to get to other star systems, you just cannot go at light speed. It's way too slow. You've got to go thousands of times faster than the speed of light. And how do we do that? Well, discovering and studying particles, I, go, I went to nature to solve the problem of anti-gravity, studying nature and studying how particles work, because they fly very fast. And I said, hey, how does a photon move by itself at the speed of light? It doesn't have a jetpack behind it, no rocket. You know, photons do it effortlessly. So I had to look into how particles move, as did Einstein, the only other person I know that ever dared to solve that question. Uh, you ask a physicist today how particles move, they put their hands up, oh, that's fundamental, that we don't know, we don't even want to even think about it, we don't guess about it, you know, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's kinematics, which is the study of, of motion of things without understanding the cause of that motion, and Einstein, like myself, sought after the cause of particle motion, and when I found the cause of particle motion, which I call the slip wave, I says, okay, this is how particles do it. Now we're going to apply this technology, this natural technology, just like Da Vinci did with studying birds and the Wright brothers, you know, studying their wings and everything, studying nature to learn how to fly. Now I studied nature to learn how to move at the speed of light and beyond it. And you do that using the thing I call the slip wave. The slip wave is a special field. It's a magnetic field. It's a torsion field. And uh, when you use this type of dynamical geometry, this type of field, you cause space to stretch from the front of the ship to the back of the ship. It stretches more and more, which decreases its density. And when you decrease the density of space, you've got like a, a motion like a bubble moves through the water. The, the, a bubble moves from the bottom of the ocean to the top because of a, ten, a density difference. And that's what particles do. They have a density gradient inside of them. And that creates motion within the medium. Wow. And so using the same technology, this torsion technology that Russians study and then Einstein studied, yeah, I got evidence here. It's written down. He, he says it somewhere. I got a little document. He wrote the Unified Field Theory of Gravitation and Electricity, July 25th, 1925. And he left a clue behind. In the last couple of statements in this whole big paper that he wrote, he said, nevertheless, I'm still far away from claiming the physical validity. Physical, he says the word physical. That means space is a something. Physical validity of the equations I derive. The reason for that is, that I did not succeed in deriving equations of motion for particles yet. So he and I were looking for the same thing all along. He knew that's the ultimate answer to the unified field theory because it's motion of particles that creates the gravitational field. It also creates the magnetic field. And so the electrostatic field, the charge, what they call charge in particles, is a twist of space and that twist of space causes a density difference from front to back this density difference causes a motion forward and um that's the cause of motion and so what we have to do with starships is we got to create 
a density difference in space by twisting space more and more and more using a magnetic field, which is a rotational reaction to moving charge. So we're running electrons and coils or the guys in the spaceships are doing this. And from the front of the ship to the back, a strong magnetic field in front, a stronger one in the next coil, a stronger one yet, all the way to the back where it's incredibly intense. You, you create a field that not only cancels gravity, but pushes your ship forward as fast as you want. And in order to break the light speed barrier, you have to do one more thing. You have to decrease permittivity and permeability of space. And that was defined by James Clerk Maxwell. C, the speed of light equals one over the square root of permittivity times permeability. If you reduce those two properties of space, measurable, real measurable properties of space to zero, you can go infinitely fast. So this is the way you form this field. You drop properties of permittivity and permeability. You have velocity via the slip wave, the torsion field. You have everything you need to move and at any speed you want. The more you cause space to rotate inside of this field, the less permittivity and permeability, they drop. And I know this can be done because material scientists have developed materials that have this property of a very low permeability and permeativity. And they claim that when you project light through it, that light goes infinitely fast. And this is on ResearchGate. Don't believe me, go look yourself. So all I'm saying, there's science to back it up. Now, what it's would you say about time travel? Like, would there, does that mean that time travel is also a bit like because it, it could be like with this with, with what you're talking about? Could we like, slow down time then, or because time's linear, right? It's a construct of our mind. It's it's time happens because there is a real space. It goes back to the ether again, and I'm going to explain this. You're going to. See, this is very simple. Distance equals rate times time. Now, in order for that equation to work, D, distance, actually has to be something. In other words, you can't go into outer space and with a ruler, let's say, or a yardstick, and say point A is on this side of the yardstick, point B is on the other side. The distance between here and here is a yard or a meter, right? Yeah. Well, Scientists in this current day and time will, will tell you that space is a void, a completely empty void made of nothing. Nothing could be further from the truth. If that were true, if that space out there were equal to nothing, no pro it would have no property of permeability. It would have no property, of, no measurable property of permittivity and permeability. We know it does have that. So there's something there. But if there wasn't, let's just play along with their idea. That means there would be nothing between A and B of that meter stick. So if we shot a light beam across it, how long would it take for that light beam to get from point A to point B? If there's nothing, zero, in between point A and point B, how long would it take that beam of light to get from point A to point B? It would be instantaneous. Exactly. And we never see that. Wow. The only way that could happen is you have to take control of that space. You have to master it, as I describe in the book. That's why I call it master of reality. You have to take control of that space and twist it, causing it to stretch, stretch so that there's less permittivity, less permeability. And now you shoot that light beam across, and you know what? It goes way faster. And, and, and they're doing an experiment now. You know, see, when I figured all this out, I says, okay, find somebody that's measuring light in a magnetic field, I'll bet you it goes faster. And, and so I went through and researched and I found a, an engineer that said, we've been doing this experiment called birefringence, which you shoot a magnetic, uh, you shoot a beam of light across a really, really strong magnetic field and quantum mechanics says it slows down. And when they do the experiment, it doesn't slow down. Not only doesn't it doesn't slow down, but they get a negative number which is implying that it's speeding up. Wow. And now this is not, they're saying, oh no, we can't report. Somebody was going to write that up and they withdrew their report. 
because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them because you don't want to that's blasphemy saying that the speed of light is not constant so they pull the report and they tore apart the experiment and did not repeat it they gave up so now these guys in france tried to do it years later so i wrote them and i asked them are you seeing any evidence that the speed of light goes faster and then he gave me an answer that was very strange we go by what science says we do which is we measure the speed of light and, and we expect it not to do that. And basically what they have found in the experiment is, again, quantum mechanics fails to, is, is failed to confirm. They did not detect any evidence that the speed of light slows, slows down, but they refuse to say that it speeds up. They just say that we, we can't confirm quantum mechanics prediction. And guess what? Now they've given up. They torn the experiment apart, and you can't find it on their site anymore. Wow. So, so we got a problem. We got a problem that the scientists can't get over their presuppositions, that they think this is the way the universe works. It's a tragic occurrence that scientists can be blinded by their own presuppositions. And this is a classic case of that. They don't even measure the speed of light right anymore. And, and that's a whole nother story of how they, 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 because they're, they're finding things that doesn't confirm what Einstein said, that speed of light is constant, which it's really not. <laughs> and, and it's, it's frustrating to realize that science is its own worst enemy. Now they do, will not adhere to the, to the principles that science was founded upon, you know, truth and, 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 and doing things in a way that, you know, it's never good science to ignore anomalous data or to eliminate a conclusion because of some presupposition. Uh, Sir Henry Dale, one time president of the Royal Society of London made an important comment in his retirement speech. Science should not tolerate any lapse of precision or neglect any anomaly but give nature's answers in the world humbly and with courage. We don't do that anymore. You know how we measure the speed of light? We used to take a, a golden measurement, a meter long rod made of platinum or something like that. Put that in the machine, that length, fire a light beam across it and see how long it took. And that was the speed of light. But as they did that over the years, do you know what happened? What happened? Every time they did it uh, after so many years, the speed of light was slightly slower. Wow. And they couldn't explain this. And it started to piss them off. And, and this was going on in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s until finally Raymond Burge, the guy that was ahead of the, the universal constant, said, Okay, that's enough. I'm declaring the speed of light this number. And from now on, that's the number you're going to get. And so if you don't get that number, you adjust your equipment to get that number. And then you start measuring the speed of light once you do it. So they have to tweak their machine length, the, you know, the measurement length. So in reality, what's happening is the meter is shrinking. Because in order to get that number over time, you got to shrink the distance so you still get that number. But that's how they measure the speed of They don't measure the speed of light. They're actually measuring or determining the distance of a meter which is now slowly but surely shrinking. But do you think that certain scientists have had access to this knowledge, like uh, maybe through the government or um, uh, with, with the technology that they have now? Well, the, the reverse engineering guys, it's, you know, if they're talking to aliens as well, the aliens are probably explaining to them uh, the ultimate theory, the unified field theory. They're, probably saying the same thing i'm saying now yeah uh, they're saying space is a real thing and you can use magnetic fields to and, and and we have loads of evidence that spaceships ufos use magnetic fields yeah it seems like they use that when they go into the oceans did you ever see like those uso reports that they say the uso went from air to sea like nothing that would be because of an electromagnetic field, I was told, right? 
Yeah, uh, you see with the, the magnetic field, when it's really intense like that, it rarefies the atmosphere around the perimeter of the ship. In other words, the air gets really, really, really thin. Because remember, it's a repulsive field. And, and so it's pushing away the air uh, right around the perimeter where the intense magnetic field is. So that's why it doesn't make a sonic boom. Because it's moving within a bubble, and that bubble has rarefied air all around it. So the pressure wave never forms. And yeah. it's a pressure wave that causes the sonic boom. So these things are going way faster than the speed of sound, and they're silent. And that's why they can also go through the water easily, because they rarefy the atmosphere around the ship underwater. So they can move very fast underwater, because basically... The water is separated and away from the perimeter or the metal surface of their UFO. So to, the UFO feels almost nothing when it moves through air and when it moves through water. And I hear, and I've had some testimonies from some of the abductees uh, that I've talked to. He says, you know what? They can move right through solids, too. I've heard about that. I've heard about that. And it's so weird. I've heard that they... Um, they take the people that like are abductees and they deconstruct their physicality, which would mean, which makes me question like what our physicality is like, they'll, you know, they'll use a, like a, I've heard they use like a blue beam and they'll uh, somehow uh, deconstruct the physical matter of the person is to where they can take them through a wall. They can take them through a window. They can take them through a ceiling to get them on board craft. Like, have you heard these stories? Yeah, sure. Whitley Schreiber describes that, uh, and I think there's others that talk about that. That technology, I don't even have a, a very good idea how it works. You're talking about people that are not just a few hundred or a few thousand years ahead of us. They're many millions, millions of years ahead, maybe up to a billion. Can you imagine what our technology capabilities would be in just a million years from now? Oh, my God. 10 million or 100 million? Not only is our technology going to be greater, but our, our ability to do things psychically, uh, in, which I think the aliens do a lot of their magic in combination with their you know, psychic abilities, that they yeah. can manipulate matter and energy in ways we couldn't even dream of at this point. Uh, yeah, but our psychic abilities are growing too, I think. Like, you know, I know mine. Yes, they're um, growing. For um, uh, the men, when I meditate and I do all this research, you know, the the more I do it, the more my psychic abilities grow, like my intuition, my um, every, everything, you know, like I, I'm able to predict things easier, faster. I don't know how it started coming on, but I've, I've been really interested in psi phenomenon, like PSI, you know, like um, remote viewing, psychokinesis, telekinesis, um, uh, clairvoyance, ESP. Um, I think that's such a, a an interesting field. Um, and that that kind of, I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, because that's like a proven science. It's not a science, but it's a proven uh, part of the paranormal. What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think that science needs to be merged with the spiritual realm. Yeah. Einstein once said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Ultimately, if I'm right, and I'm pretty darn sure I'm right, God created the universe, God created science and the laws of science. And to back that up, I'm going to tell you what an NDE person said, because there's many people coming back and making this claim. Father Rick Wendell uh, is on my site. Uh, I got a, a YouTube uh, video from him. And he says, this is what God told him. So we should listen very closely to this. It says there's only one commandment for man, love one another. Think about that for a minute. If we actually did that, all the world's problems would go away. Now, yeah. setting that aside, now yeah. we're going we're to get into the, to the physical stuff. He said, God said to him, all of this three-dimensional world is within God. We're within it, right? We're within the, the infinite spirit right now. Our particles, that's part of God. Everything about us. Our creation comes from God. All this three-dimensional world is, with, is within God. There is nothing outside of God. 
everything within this physical universe has to, to correspond to laws, and God set those laws. They are immutable as God is immutable. None of this, what we see and experience is an accident. It is intentioned by God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so, it. That's, so that's well the put. truth. Yeah, I, I, I believe that's, 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 that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it's all set by, but it's so interesting, like thinking about like what these, like, what, like for example, when I try to have an out-of-body experience, like did, did God make that out-of-body experience, the astral world for us to be able to travel through? I mean, 80% of the population doesn't even care about topics like that. But like, there's people like you and I that do that, like want to expand our consciousness and like, have these experiences to see like what else is out there do you see the correlation between out-of-body experiences too and god well yeah out-of-body experiences or ndes it's another kind of out-of-body experience basically there are many dimensions probably an infinite amount of dimensions and an in infinite amount of universes to explore we are only experiencing such a small part of what really is here on earth. This is very simple, little mundane, little speck of something in the middle of uh, nowhere, basically, that there's so much more. The, the universe, there's so many planets we haven't experienced. There's so many different cultures we haven't experienced. There's so many different universes we haven't experienced. There, other dimensions where time and distance and everything all have different, slightly different rules. And when people go out of body into these astral planes or these other dimensions and so forth, that's the real stuff. That's the bigger picture, which when we're encased in this body and this brain is very limited access to that, that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and to make matters worse, we're still a very primitive species. We're still half asleep. Yeah, you know, yeah, that 80% or 90% of the population you're talking about, you know what they care about? Who's going to win American Idol? Who's going to be the next Super Bowl champion? That's the, the extent of their, you know, care. Yeah. You know? I None of that stuff too. matters. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's definitely like that. And it's, it's so weird because, like, there's a whole world to explore, you know? And I was thinking, I just thought now maybe that the these uh psychic gifts that we can have and you know out-of-body experiences maybe that's a part of our evolution you know i mean it wasn't as available back in the 50s 60s 70s until robert monroe started having out-of-body experiences and then you know people like um uh, uh i'm thinking of the remote viewer that was really good he passed away ingo swan you know there was people like ingo swan lynn buchanan and then uh, for out-of-body experiences, Robert Monroe, they all started like kind of like, you know, they were bending the, the way we thought about our reality. And now we're at a time where maybe we can start incorporating some of this stuff into our life. And I had the lady from, her name is Marilyn Hughes from outofbodytravel.org. She said that out-of-body experiences are a real spiritual thing that like mystics and sages had them throughout history and stuff like that. So maybe it is a part of our evolution. What do you think? Yeah, out of body, it's just a way of communicating more effectively by reconnecting with your, your spiritual side. So if you're an explorer here in the physical world, you, your awareness is heightened and you start doing things like that, you're going to get access to more, to more yeah. stuff. And knowledge from God comes about as a result of infused knowledge. That comes directly from God. So when you do things like that, you're getting knowledge, information directly in, in a way that's not text. It's not just thoughts or whatever, or through language. You're doing experiences in an out-of-body state, seeing, hearing, uh, you know, getting information and knowledge, at, you know, a higher level. Than, than we would in a scientific lab with somebody working at a computer or whatever. That's primitive. I know it seems advanced to them, but there's much better ways to get information <laughs> uh, in the global sense. 
yeah. than, than what we're doing now. This this limited scientific method is just it can only go so far. It can only take you so far. The things you're talking about, what we're dealing with, we're talking about a greater universe, and you know, infinitely more larger and complex situation than than we can handle in a lab somewhere <laughs> with some machinery you, you can't get access to all that unless you do it through your soul and and expanding your consciousness so that you can make those connections and get more information and experience and knowledge do you think like my last question for you is about time travel like do you think that like time travel could ever be possible for someone who has uh great psi abilities and spirituality um do you think that um they we that maybe time's just a construct that can be manipulated with the consciousness well uh, according uh, to father rick wendell and I, I i i agree with this statement he says and this is god speaking again time does not really exist god is outside of time we have a perception of time in the physical world that perception changes according to our circumstances. So we have time here. We experience it in a linear form because there is a distance, a real physical distance. That, and that means that it takes a time interval for something to happen until you get to somewhere else. That's where time emerges. Because if you didn't have a real physical substance, the ether, to travel through, there would be no time interval. Everything would be instant, instantaneous, like it is on the other side. So, so there's something going on on the other side in the heavenly realm. Whereas, just think about it. I'm saying if you have infinite speed, time goes away, right? Well, on the other side, a person can just think and they're there. Yeah. And they could think and be on the other side of the universe. So that's a non-physical state. That's a purely spiritual thing. And so energy is different there. And in a way I can't even imagine, but it has to be different than what we're talking about here. Spiritual energy in yeah. some way is different. And it exists in a place where there isn't anything really physical or the physicalness of things somehow exists as consciousness. And, and that's all there is. And, and, um, yeah, God is generating that reality uh, everywhere, and um, it's it's a tricky business when you get into time travel. Yeah, they can travel through time on the other side, but it's also I'm I'm hearing it's also being done here physically I've by opening portals. Device. Have you heard about the looking glass device? Yes, the looking the looking glass, um, and that's I think it's just a way to look at different things. There's also stargates that have been built where people can go to different times and interact, which I highly recommend not doing, but, you know, of course, they're doing it. Um, and yeah, I've heard Project Looking Glass. And um, what about, um, do you remember, do you remember this? Uh, Art Bell had a guest on who came on and talked about the chronovisor before, which was, I think it was Andy Basaggio, like Andy Basaggio said he was involved in Project Pegasus, which was like a time travel thing. And they would use this chronovisor to, um, you know, transverse time and space, like they would go to different places. Basaggio never talked about too much about the future too much. He said that they would travel in time in the past. Did you ever listen to that, uh, that guy talk before? I was no, I, no, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. It sounds it's, interesting. It, it's B-A-S- IAGO, but Andrew Basaggio, and it's, uh, I know he was on Art Bell, and then he was on other shows, but he hasn't done interviews in a while, but he was said that, you know, if you look him up, he says he was part of this, you know, U.S. government time travel uh, thing experiment called uh, Project Pegasus, where one of the things they used was the chronovisor, which was a time travel, you know, device, and then they used something else, um, too and and it just I, I I've just always been in and I've been in love with time travel like I'd love to go back and I think if people if we had if I had a choice I, and I could like I'd love to go back and write some wrongs you know I and I think that I think that it wouldn't be a learning experience though right yeah I I reminisce sometimes I like to go back to 1965 or so as a kid 
Yeah. I'd like to go back as a kid. And the problem with time travel, let's say I want to go back to 1965. Well, okay. Using their Stargate technology, you go back with this body. So there's you, the kid, and then there's this body. (laughs) Yeah. That's not quite the same. You'll be there and see, you know, and you could uh, probably would be dangerous to interact with your past self. Uh, You could possibly eliminate your own future by doing that. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend that, but, um, if you could truly go back and relive your life again, you know, that's something I, I would probably be interested in, but, um, (laughs) since I got all this stuff that I have to do, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that because that would kind of mess things up. Yeah. Well, I think you have amazing theories. Like I, I, I love talking to you. This was so interesting. Um, can you tell everybody uh, your website if you have? And then, and then, um, uh, oh yeah, it's super. De- but I'll let you tell it. And then yeah. where they can find the book and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, my website where you can find my papers and 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 some old videos I've done and blog and all that stuff and you know where you can get my book is www super-relativity.com super-relativity.com and you go there and you could I have some papers you can read I got all kinds of stuff going on there that you can get familiar with the theory of super relativity which I am strongly advocating and promoting at every opportunity because it solves problems and gives real world applications that could help this uh, this these people here, the people of Earth, to advance. That's kind of my main mission is to get that going so that we can have anti-gravity and travel through uh, interstellar space so that we can meet other cultures and uh, learn amazing things. They have technologies that could heal cancer and and, and do so many things. And and we can learn more about God and God is a universal being. Yeah, because I, I have a feeling that the uh, the advanced beings, they know a little bit more about God than we do, I think, because they've been around longer. They A lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this was awesome. I'll send you a link when I upload it. And thank you again for doing this. And uh, yeah, I thought this went great. Uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate being back on the show. Yeah, I look forward to that link. I want to definitely view this again and, and see everything that happened. All right. Have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.